This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, and we're coming up on the draft just, uh, well, less than three weeks away. And we're going to look at the draft through the lens of the College World Series, which just wrapped up. We're going to talk about some first-round buzz, little uh, 1-1 talk. And we are in the process of expanding our top draft prospects list from 200 to 250. We'll preview that a little bit. Then we're going to fast-forward to next year's draft, the PDP League. One of the first glances at next year's high school draft prospects is underway. Uh, Jonathan will be out there soon. And uh, we're going to take a look at our latest edition of the Rookie Power Rankings. And we'll preview this week's MILB on MLB.tv schedule. We've got five doozies for you. And we'll wrap up by answering a question from the mailbag. Jim, Jonathan, let's talk draft. Let's talk College World Series. Let's talk Kate Horton. Uh, is that is that the, in terms of the draft, is that the, the biggest story coming out of the College World Series? It is. I mean, it, it, we talked about this last year. I mean, it's not like, in most cases, the College World Series is not going to move the needle terribly either way because it's coming at the end of a long college season. You've seen these guys perform over the season, but but Cade Horton is different. You know, it's kind of like when we talked about Connor Prelip at the combine. You really hadn't seen a whole lot of Connor Prelip because he was coming back from Tommy John surgery and he'd just thrown one bullpen before the SEC tournament. And, and similarly with Cade Horton, he's been on a roll, but it, it, it's it's really been for five weeks. You know, it, it's kind of an amazing story. We, we've talked about it on the podcast before. You know, he's one of the top two-way prospects and two sport talents coming out of high school in 2020. And, you know, could have gone the top two rounds, but he wanted to go to Oklahoma and, and try to play the infield and pitch and, and possibly play quarterback. And he looked great in fall practice, but he injured his elbow and had Tommy John surgery, missed the whole year. And he opened this year as their third baseman. And they brought him back slowly on the mound. He, he started pitching at the end of March, worked his way into the rotation and, and, really didn't have a very good regular season at a seven, nine, four ERA. And at that point, I think the consensus was, okay, you know, you can see some arm strength, but he's going to have to come back next year and prove it. You know, it, it, we're not gonna be able to sign him this year. And the story is he was trying to add a pitch before the big 12 tournament. He was trying to add a cutter and he didn't really add a cutter, but it really helped him with his slider grip and how he released the slider and so starting in the Big 12 tournament, he's had this wipeout slider that if you watch the final game of the College World Series where he struck out 13 in a no decision in, in the last game against Ole Miss, 
uh, he was up to 90. I mean, it was like an 85, 88 mile an hour slider touching 90 with two plane depth. Um, and he's sitting 94, 96, you know, touching 98, you know, keeping stuff for six, seven innings at a time, struck out 49 and 31 innings in the postseason. And, you know, I think in his case, he was coming off three pretty good starts in the postseason and had two even better starts in the college world series. And, you know, we're, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about the draft top 250 coming out this week, but you know, we're, we're, we're toying with like, where exactly do we put him? And I think we had loosely settled on 50 and Jonathan, I, <laughs> I think we should revisit that when we're done with the podcast. I was looking at it last night. I did a podcast where somebody was asking about Kate Horton and um, I don't know that there's a college pitcher. I would take over Kate Horton right now. Uh, which seems crazy to say with five starts, but if you stack his stuff and athleticism up against the other college starters, I don't know who you take over. No, it's uh, we've not, obviously this is only what the second time in terms of the timing of the draft where the college world series matters. Uh, You know, previously the, the draft would have happened during I think super regional play uh, or at the end of super regional play. Uh, so we're somewhat uncharted territories in general, but just overall, I don't know that we've ever seen a postseason performance catapult someone like this. And and you, you laid out well, Jim, I think all the different variables that led to this in terms of him being out and and then him pitching this well, it's crazy talking to people about where he could go. Uh, I haven't really dug into this week's mock draft yet, but I am uh, expecting, and I've heard a little, little bits, you know, that he, he could sneak into the first round, which is crazy because this guy was, I don't say he was a nobody because everyone knew he was talented, but in terms of this draft class, he was a nobody. Yeah. If, if the draft was when it usually was, he would have been coming off three, no, two good postseason starts in the Big 12 and in the regionals. But I think his signability would have been out of whack. You know, I, I think he was, everybody thought he was going to bet on himself and come back. So it would have been interesting because I think what you would have had happen is he probably gets drafted after the 10th round. Um, and then he blows up like this and the team would be scrambling to try to find a way to sign him because, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know numbers and price tags on guys, but I would suspect that if you're going to sign Kate Horton, the number's probably going to begin with a two. Um, and we're not, you know, it might have been, you might have been thinking, oh, well, you know, we'd sign this guy for 250. But now we're talking, you know, it might be 2.5 million, you know, if you're, if you're looking at first round money. And maybe it's more than that, but it would have been interesting how that would have played out because the team that would have drafted him would have had a very hard time. I, I don't know if you could really do it like after the fact with your bonus pool and come up with the money to sign him. But yeah, it's like, I, I was just thinking about it. And if you start looking at like him versus Gabe Hughes, who, you know, slid a little bit at the end of the season, didn't perform as well, or Blade Tidwell, who was inconsistent and had shoulder issues 
or Cooper Jerpy, who did lead Division One in strikeouts, but but Kate Horton's got better stuff and and does it more conventionally, or or Justin Campbell, who I will not confuse with Jake Bennett on this week's podcast. <laughs> I think I take Kate Horton over all those guys. Um, so it'll be it's going to be really interesting. Like like usually you like like last year, you know, we talked about Will Bednar. I think the World Series helped him a little bit, but Will Bednar was going to go pretty sure, good. Yeah. Will Bednar was probably you know, late first round, and then he elevated himself to mid first round. It, it was like uh, maybe yeah. comp, but yeah, yeah, but yes, yeah, he elevated him, but like one flight of stairs, not seven. Yeah, so it, it is pretty fascinating to see the, the, the Kate Horton experience. And I watched. I don't know if you guys watched the game on on Sunday, but he was just in total control. I mean, he gave up a home run to Jacob Gonzalez, and then. Uh, I forget how the second run scored off of him, but and then the deep, I, I go. It was uh, I think it's I think he had a runner on, and they brought in a reliever, and then the reliever was wild, and and an old miss rallied. But yeah, no, he's he's impressive, and and I do think you're just looking at at everything he brings to the table, and the fact that theoretically he should be able to get better as he gets further away from the Tommy John. Uh, it, it's pretty exciting. All right, Jonathan, you mentioned uh, potentially even sneaking into the first round. Let's talk about some first round buzz and starting at the very top of the first round at 1-1. little buzz there, Jim? Yeah, I mean, when I did the mock last week, I actually had a new guy in the top slot. Uh, you know, Not that I was trying to do that, but just kind of talking to people around the combine a little bit and after I got back. There's a lot of chatter that Termar Johnson could go number one overall, and he would be the the first player whose position or who's projected as a second baseman ever to go one one. And you know the line of thinking, you know, there's a couple things playing to that. I think, you know, I, I did run into Mike Elias at the at the combine. I think we talked about this last week, and and they're not going to say anything. They're not going to show their hand other than they're looking at five guys, um, and they just aren't going to tip their hand. They're going to try to keep as much leverage as they can to you know, negotiate with players leading up to the draft. And, but, you know, the, the thinking would be that a, you know, the Orioles have taken outfielders with their last two picks. They don't necessarily want to take another outfielder, you know, even though say Drew Jones is the best player in the draft B while they're not looking to do just a, a total discount move. Like when they took Heston Kerstad or Colton Kowser, that they want to take a legitimate guy. This would allow like take a Termar, who's a legitimate number one guy would allow them to save more money than if they took Drew Jones, who's probably not going to take a deal, or Jackson Holiday, who's not going to take much of a haircut, um, or even Elijah Green, if he's in that mix, that Termar might be the guy who you could save the most money with because if he doesn't go one, he might go you know as low as, say, seven or eight. Um, and I think there's also some thought that, that Termar wants to go number one overall, which would increase his willingness to deal. And it's funny, so since that came out, um, Orioles fans, for the most part, seemed outraged on Twitter. I, I think they got hung up on the discount part of it. And yeah, Jonathan, I mean, my, my of my mind, like I'm not saying I would take Termar number one if I was basing decision totally on talent, but I do think he's a legitimate guy to take there because you're talking about a guy who I think is the considered the consensus best hitter in the draft, and. I think he's going to be at least a 2025 home run guy. So if he hits, you know, 300 with 20 plus homers and plays second base, that's a really good number one pick. But, but yet Orioles fans, I think focused on the, 
biggest discount aspect of that discussion, and and many of them seem to be un, uh, upset about this. Yeah, and I would say if they if they do like the 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 strength in your convictions you need, I would think for you know a general manager, scouting director to go to ownership to take you know, a five foot eight second baseman number one overall would be pretty impressive. And that's kind of where I've hesitated. That said, you know, he can really hit. Uh, I mean, I, I love his, his attitude, you know, having him on the podcast, seeing him on MLB Network during the Combine. Uh, I'm sure he was great in, uh, you know, in interview sessions with teams. Uh, the fact that he insisted on playing you know in a, in a wood bat league this summer because he knew teams uh, felt a little uncomfortable because they didn't really get to evaluate him due to the the lack of competition and the level of play in his conference during the spring after a great summer uh, but we saw what he he did uh, in Coors field uh, and granted you know that's it's you know bp and then the, that home run derby but that power is very real he can really really hit you know, and it's gotten me to thinking a little bit, Jim, and, and this may be a conversation for another time because it's more about philosophy, uh, about this whole idea that you know, your number one pick should, you know, needs to kind of look a certain way. Like, you shouldn't be a five foot eight second baseman to to be specific in this case. Number one picks haven't always been all that good. You know, it's it's not like every single number one pick has been a superstar. So I don't know that like there's a mold that shouldn't be broken if there's a player that qualifies to be the mold breaker. And Tamar Johnson might be that guy. Yeah, I think the number one pick, the main focus should be on talent. And, and like I said, if, if it was, if you were picking purely the most talented player, I would take Drew Jones, but Tamar Johnson, you, you're not, even though because he's a second baseman, he might, you know, it's almost, you know what it is? It's almost like the reverse Nick Madrigal. You know, when Nick Madrigal was, it was a draft prospect I mean, how many times do we talk about on the podcast about this dichotomy between how Madrigal was the best player in college baseball basically for two years at Oregon State? Other than, you know, he was hurt a little bit at the beginning of his junior year, but he was the best player on the best team in college baseball for two years. But at the same time, it, it was hard. Like, like when you take that guy in the top five picks and the White Sox took him fourth overall, it was just a tough profile because there was bat-to-ball skills there but it was second base and there was just not much impact. It was, it was all contact, not much impact and how that was going to play in the big leagues. And it's kind of played, I think like everybody's greatest fears where Madrigal has hit for average, but there, you know, he, he doesn't walk. He doesn't hit for power. He's a career 292 hitter with an ops under 700. Um, and his base running and defense have not been as good as advertised. And you're like, what is this? And, 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 and Termar is the exact opposite where, you can get hung up on, oh, he's a second baseman, but Termar can really, really hit. And you know, one of the con- the the, the uh, uh, comparisons is what I was shooting for, not kind of comment. Comparisons that was thrown out the combine was, you know, that he could be like a a Robinson Cano style second baseman, and you know, Robinson Cano is a little bigger, but he's kind of that burly second baseman. But Robinson Cano can really hit for average and, and power too, and if Termar, even if Termar's, you know, let, let's call him a poor man's Robinson Cano, and he only gives you, you know, half of Robinson Cano's career, that's still a really good player. So 
I just think people are getting hung up on the second base and the discount thing. And you know, hey, if, if you could get if you could get Termar Johnson, and let's say again, we're just throwing numbers out here. I don't know what the number is going to be, but that that slot's eight point eight million dollars. Maybe you could get Termar Johnson and save one and a half or two million dollars off that pick. That's not bad, you know, providing you could turn that two million dollars in, into some other good players as well. Yeah, I think the the multiple players is the important part. Like to do it to put your eggs in the basket of one player, we've we've been through that. You know, that doesn't always work. Guys don't get to where you want them to, but uh, y- you know, it's you know if they can if they can get multiple players with their large bonus pool and that's the savings as they continue because we you know, where the Orioles are right now is it's starting to get exciting and they're starting to get talent. You know, at the top level, you know, Adley Rutschman's in the big leagues. Yes, Grayson Rodriguez got hurt, but he'll he'll be in the big leagues next year. Gunnar Henderson, Jordan Westberg are all are both in Triple A's, right? So they're starting to amass talent at the upper levels. They they they're filling in some talent in the lower levels because they're now they're active in Latin America again, and they've been a little more aggressive in the draft. They can keep filling in behind that by using this kind of strategy now. I'm not saying they should, and I'm not, you know, I'm not, there's certainly no consensus that that's who they're going to take, but uh, it certainly would be an interesting way to go. All right. What else are you guys hearing out there? Draft buzz. You know, there, there's not a ton. Uh, I think it's interesting. We're going to talk about the PDP league in a little bit, but there's almost a little bit of a pause from what I'm hearing that teams are, are focusing for a minute on 2023 because of that. It's not that they're not having meetings and talking about this, but there's not a lot of information out there. You know, I, I think the the biggest thing we touched on is Kate Horton, who could you know easily sneak into the first round. Uh, you know, some other names that I'm hearing. Uh, you know, possibly guys who like, and it's nothing new. I think Jim and I have both, um, you know, mocked this, but uh, you know, Justin Crawford. Uh, Jet Williams, uh, Cooper Jerpy, uh, all guys who could sort of sneak into the top 20 picks or so. Uh, we've talked about Kumar Rocker a ton. Uh, you know, again, that depends on the, on the medical, but the way he's thrown, I think there's some teams that think he's going to sneak up pretty high. And then Carson Wisenhunt, uh, who we haven't talked as much about, but is interesting because he wasn't hurt. He was suspended uh, in his pitching in the Cape. So he'll get seen a few more times. He's another guy who I think could, uh, especially with the injuries to all the other college arms and you know the general uh, tendency for high school arms to to slide down as the draft approaches because just teams end up being a, a little risk averse. Uh, he's another guy, Wisenhunt, who could very easily go in the first. Although round. it's interesting with with Wisenhunt, you know, I've talked to guys about him, and his stuff looks like they expected. He's a little rusty. But you know, it's interesting. So he's pitched 11 innings in the Cape so far. He's got 19 strikeouts, four walks. Without looking it up, what do you think his ERA is? We're talking about Woodbat League. 19 strikeouts, four walks, and 11 innings. Uh, 623. Jason, do you want to go higher or lower? I'll go lower. Well, you're wrong because it's 10.64. Whoa. So- I, knew, I, I knew it was high because <laughs> he wouldn't have brought it up. Um, but, uh, yeah, I didn't realize. Yeah. So it's weird. Like, like he's, I mean, he's looked the, you know, he's, he, he's throwing strikes, the changeups his best pitch. The velocity has been back. The breaking ball has been okay. I mean, it's the same scouting report we had on him coming into the year. Um, 
but he's been getting knocked around pretty good. So, but but I agree. I, I do think there is first round buzz on him, but uh, it, it it's weird seeing a ten point six four ERA considering how much he's he's you know striking guys out. Like I I don't have the BAPIP calculated, um, but uh, it seems like the league must be hitting about five hundred off him when it doesn't strike out. All right, so we've we've talked about Cade Horton and his ascension up the list. We've talked about some one-one buzz, some more first-round buzz. The top draft prospects list, which is currently at two hundred, by the time you're listening to this, might be expanded to two fifty. Anything else of note uh, that we should uh, give a little preview of the the top two fifty? Are those are those the kind of main points? I mean, you you guys have had as far as the very top goes. You guys have had the same, almost the same five names at the top of each of your mocks with Lee, Jones, Green, Johnson, Holiday. Are they, at the, are, at this point, are they cemented into those top five spots? I'd say no, because I, I think you got to throw Kevin Parada in there. And I think the one guy who could slide a little bit is Elijah Green. Um, you know, I, I think there's a chance he could go three or he could go five to the Rangers or Nationals. But if he doesn't, um, you know, especially like if Termar, if Termar Johnson goes one, Drew Jones, I think, goes two. I, I think it, when you say Jonathan, Drew Jones to Dimeback seems like it's the biggest lock. If he's yes, in. I don't see him. Yeah, if, if the Orioles don't take him, I can't imagine the Diamondbacks. Yeah, he has not been wouldn't. hasn't been lower than two in, in any of your mocks. And, and and even like to your point, Jim, like that's even more about like, well, where is Elijah Green going to go in terms of talent? I don't know that I would take him out of the top five. Um, yeah, I think I think Parada's sort of five A. Leo, like he's very good, and he's right there with Brooks Lee in terms of you know the top college bat. I think, but I don't know that I would slide Green. If you know, we're, we're just talking about the top fifty rankings on talent, not where he's going to go. But, but but Jason was saying if they were locked into the top five. Are you, were you asking if they were locked into the top five picks or the top five spots on our list? Well, you know I. I was kind of asking both at once, yeah. which I realize are different questions, but I think so. I, think, I guess answer, we just answered, answered both. Of those. Yeah, yeah, we we did answer them both. They're very slightly different questions. Like I don't think it would surprise either of us if those top five went in the top five in some order. But there are a couple of other, you know, Kevin Parada could, as he pointed, I mean, Cam Collier's name has popped up a little bit in the top five. You know, things can happen, uh, but uh, those five. Are, are, are the top five best players, I think. All right, let's take a break and come back and fast forward to the 2023 draft class. We'll do that next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. 
Jason Ratliff, Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo, and we talked 2022 draft class. Now we're going to talk 2023 draft class, and that is because the third PDP league is underway. And uh, this is our really one of our first looks at the uh, the best of the best in the high school draft class for the upcoming year. This started in 2019, <clears throat> did not have one in 2020 due to the pandemic. Uh, so this is the third time uh, that this event uh, has taken place. Jonathan, you will be there soon. Uh, tell us a little bit about the PDP League. Yeah, it's kind of strange, the timing-wise. When it was first created in 2019, uh, it took place uh, you know, shortly after the draft as one of the early uh, big showcase events. Uh, and it serves multiple purposes. There are 100 of the, of the top high school players will, will be there this year, split into four teams, and they'll play a bunch of intra-squad games. They'll have workouts. They'll do performance assessments, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it, it, the multiple purposes uh, that it serves, you know, it, one gives all 30 teams a chance to to see top high school players for next year's draft class against good competition for an extended period of time. And you know, not just like a one game showcase or even a two or three day. Uh, the first one, you know, I think, Jim, every every year we talk about it, it gets longer and longer. It feels like it was like a three month long thing, but it was a very it was a long program. Uh, but you got very long looks and a lot of games and, and things like that. Uh, at the same time, this is a group that will make up the rosters for Major League Baseball's uh, and USA Baseball's high school All-American game, which uh, starting in 2019, you know, takes place in the All-Star City. Uh, you know, starting in, in Cleveland, then it was in Colorado, uh, in Denver in 2021, and they'll be playing Friday. Uh, before the draft uh, and the day before the Futures game in Los Angeles this year. For USA Baseball, it's a way for them to whittle down to their 40-man trial roster team, which will eventually become their 18-and-under national team, which will participate in international competition in September. Uh, it's actually uh, being held in the United States for the first time in a really long time, uh, the, the World Cup that uh, they'll be participating in. So it serves all these different functions uh, and now, because of the timing, it's a little bit strange because it's before the draft, but it is also the first showcase event for the summer. So it's kind of the kickoff event for for everybody starting to think about 2023. Uh, the other ones have been sort of pushed a little bit later to take place after the draft. Uh, so all the usual showcase events, uh, Perfect Game National, East Coast Pro Showcase, Area Code Games, all those happen as the summer goes on. All right. And... The schedule uh, for this week and then into next week, as far as the games go, uh, starting on Thursday, there are games at 1 and 4. Um, then Friday and Saturday. No, let's see. Friday. Yeah, Friday and Saturday, games at 11 a.m., 2 p.m., uh, and then 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. And then, uh, then on July 4th, couple games, July 5th, a couple games, July 6th, a couple games. And I mention all this because you can watch these games on MLB.com, MLB.com slash pipeline. Uh, we'll be streaming these games. And Jonathan, when people are watching these games, uh, who are some, some of the bigger names to keep an eye on? 
I'll let Jim, you know, we're, we're not going to split this up geographically, but it turns out that right now the best high school player is in Jim's neck of the woods. So we'll put a pin in him. I'll talk about two other guys, one hitter, one pitcher. Uh, one is, is Walker Jenkins, who also is from uh, Jim's uh, neck of the woods, but I'm going to assume he's from North Carolina. So it'll be easy for him to, to get to, to carry uh, from South Brunswick High School, really talented outfielder, uh, unbelievable field of hit. He may be the best high school hitter in the, in the class, just pure hitter. Uh, power is going to come. He's, he's not a burner, but he's got really good instincts in, in center field. I was talking to one scout who uh, actually his job is to focus on on underclass. And so he knows the 2023 class pretty well, and he loves Walker Jenkins. And then the other guy who's really fascinating to me is Thomas White, uh, who's a big lefty uh, from Massachusetts. And, you know, high school lefties who can hit the mid-90s are always going to be interesting. And he's got good secondary pitches. He's big. There's projection. But he's really not been seen very much. He hasn't pitched on many, if any, underclass showcase events. Uh, he he did, uh, I think they call it Futures at Fenway, something like that, uh, a while back. Uh, but he's not been seen a lot. So this could be kind of a, an introduction to the scouting world. People have been really wanting to see him, but he's not thrown much. And so this is going to be him throwing on a big stage really for the first time. Uh, so, you know, not going to make or break anything, one event, but this would be a very big first step forward to see how he fares against really good competition. And uh, Jim, I'll let you talk about uh, young Max Clark. You put, a, you put a pin in Jim. It hurt. I didn't appreciate it. I put a that. pin in, well, in, in Max Clark. Oh, you put a pin in Max Clark. I don't think he appreciated it either. So. Jim Callis voodoo doll? I have a Jim Callis voodoo doll. We're gonna. We should market that with pipeline swag. Um, so when you know when Orioles fans get upset at our rankings, they can have voodoo dolls of all of us that they can. Anyway, I digress. We we have enough physical ailments. We don't need uh, <laughs> yeah, that's people seriously. inflicting them upon us. But uh, yeah, now Max Clark, who uh, I sometimes refer to as Max White, remembering Rockies draft picks from long ago. But Max Clark is, I think. Kind of right now, you know, it's early, but the consensus number one prospect for next year's class. Can I take exception with you, Jonathan? Uh, not that I never do that, but uh, I think Max Clark asking might be permission the best. this time. I, I am uh, asking per- permission rather than forgiveness, but uh, instead of my usual uh, going the other way. But uh, I think Max Clark might be the best pure hitter in in next year's. Uh, high school class. Sure. Neither of us have seen either of these guys. No, I've watched video. Come on. I watched some video of Max Clark when we did our PDP show back in January. So this is the first argument about this. And we will continue to argue about Max Clark versus Walker Jenkins until the 2023 draft continue all year. But, but, but Max Clark like just has crazy tools. I mean, it's plus hit. I think it's going to be solid power when it, when he's physically mature. I mean, he's got bad speed. He's got hit ability. He's got projectable strength. You know, he's, he's got a good frame to him. You know, he, he runs like a six, four, five, 60 yard dash. So he's a 65 or 70 runner. He's got a really good arm, throws in the low nineties on the mound, uh, 60, you know, 60 center fielder kind of <laughs> this comparison would have meant more before this guy struggled so much in the big leagues. But he kind of sounds to me like a, a faster version of Jerry Kelnick at the same stage. 
um, uh, when they were both coming out of high school. Um, he's the, you know, Indiana Gatorade player of the year, no big shock, had a dominant junior season, but, uh, yeah, it, it was just, I, I remember from, from three years ago, Jonathan, it was just a really fun event. Um, I think I was there for eight days and maybe you were there for 12, like it, it was a long event and they, they have tightened it up, like you mentioned. And, and the interesting thing I do remember from back then is it was so long that you could tell when guys were there by how the players looked. Like when I was there, Ed Howard didn't really do much. And I think Ed Howard played really well while you were there. Um, and when it was like my impressions when I was taught, or getting impressions from scouts, how much they liked Ed Howard when they talk about seeing him at the PDP league, I'd be like, Oh, you must've been there at the beginning or, Oh, you must've been there at the end. And there were a number right. of guys like that. I think Austin, Austin, Hendrick, Austin Hendrick was the opposite. He was the best hitter you'd ever seen. Well, no, I didn't he, say that, but cause Mick Abel I'm, carved I'm, him up, but, but he had, some, yeah, he, had no, power. he was, he, yeah. he was very good. And then when I saw him, he, the, the wheels had come off a little bit. So yeah, it's, it's, there was, it was a, a lengthy, it was a substantial sample size, which you don't normally say for a showcase event. Yeah, you got to see a number. And Nolan McLean. Nolan McLean looked really good while I was there, which is why mm-hmm. I was, I've always liked Nolan McLean. But um, but yeah, it's a, it's a cool event. And and I, I like, I mean, it is a showcase game environment. But, you know, they would let pitchers, if I remember, Jonathan, I want to say guys would usually pitch at least two and sometimes three innings. You'd get through the order maybe a couple times or, or maybe just once if you were dominating. But it actually had a game feel to it as opposed to, hey, we're going to, you know, roll a bunch of innings and, you know, if a guy walks, we're going to put a pinch runner on first and let the guy hit again. Like, like there were actual, I, I don't know that there were incentives for whoever, I know they had a championship, like what, what your incentive was for winning other than you wanted to win. But um, I, I felt like the games were, were taken pretty seriously and were very competitive. All right. So that is the USA baseball, major league baseball, PDP league running through July 6th. And you can follow that action on MLB.com, MLB.com slash pipeline. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about our latest edition of the Rookie Power Rankings. We'll preview the minor league games on MLB.tv this week, and we'll wrap up by answering a question from the mailbag that's coming up next on the Pipeline Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. Our latest rookie power rankings are out. Uh, these uh, stir up quite a bit of uh, of consternation and angst amongst fans when their favorite team's player is not ranked as high as they think he should be. 
Um, but and we need to clarify because nobody ever reads the fine print <laughs> at the top of the story. Yes. We're not ranking these players based on what they have done to date. We realize that there are guys not who may strictly. perform better. This is based on, given what they've done so far, and emphasis here, what they're going to do for the rest of the year in our minds, Who, how will they line up in rookie of the year voting at the end of the year? Which is, I know, I think Jonathan gets more heated than I do, but as Jonathan pointed out, our, our real rookie power rankings were pretty accurate last year, even though we Indeed. we took so much grief from the Akil Badu and Ryan Mountcastle fans and... I'm sure I'm forgetting other fans of rookies who they felt were slightly. Jonathan Indio. Yes, exactly. Oh, well, yeah. We How came did you around. forget that? Well, we, we came around at the end. We had him appropriately ranked. So Yes. But anyway, I, I, I say I didn't mean to interrupt, but I interrupt all the time. But I just wanted to throw that out there so that somebody doesn't listen to this and they go, wait a minute, so-and-so is having a better year than Adley Rutschman. He's you know barely played. What's going on? So people need to keep that in mind. I would love, Jim, for you to be like, I mean to interrupt. Well, I do. I, I just admitted I mean to interrupt. I, I, right, but just say that. Cut yes. out all that extra mumbo-jumbo and just get right to it and I, just say, you know what, I mean to interrupt and then go on. It, it was a half-hearted saying. apology I threw in there. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so the way that these rookie power rankings look now, they're, they're really shaping up uh, largely as we expected in the preseason. Um, you know, we, in the preseason, we divided up between the American League and the National League. Um, and now we just have uh, a straight uh, top 10 list. But um, in the preseason, we had Bobby Witt Jr., number one in the AL, Julio Rodriguez, number two, uh, and then Torkelson at three, Riley Green at four, Adley Rutschman at five. Adley being that low on the list probably, uh, you know, because at that point I think we knew that he wasn't going to be starting in the big leagues and was going to be at a bit of a disadvantage there. Um Witt Jr. and Julio are one and two, but in the opposite order. Julio followed by Bobby Witt Jr. Adley Rutschman is now number three in our rookie power rankings. Uh, Torkelson has uh, fallen off considerably uh, with surprising struggles there. Um, but guys, the, you know, not really a surprise, but after a few weeks, I think people were were questioning, are these guys, you know, they, they got off to extremely slow starts, each of them. But uh, real quick, the rest of the rookie power rankings, uh, Jeremy Pena, Mackenzie Gore, Michael Harris has burst onto the scene, Brendan Donovan. And then we've got some pitchers at the end of the list, Joe Ryan, uh, Kirby and Strider rounding out the top 10. Um, your impressions here, I guess, no surprises really at the top. Um, I, 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 I want to ask who who you think will be the American League Rookie of the Year, but I think we all voted the same way. Um, Who's the number one on the rookie power rankings? I think I, I think it speaks for itself. Yeah, it's a yeah, company, man. You, you well, you could have you could have voted differently. Um, but I think we all voted Julio number one. We did, right? We all voted Julio one and Wit two. Did, uh, was was there anything was there anything that shook out differently than you? I, I didn't look at the individual votes, but was is there anyone that you think got uh, short shrift or is higher than they should be? Um, you know, I think overall it's pretty good. Uh, I, you know, I think you can make an argument that Mackenzie Gore could be a little bit higher, 
but it's also, you know, he hasn't been up all year. I think he'll continue to rise uh, if he continues to, to, to be solid. Uh, you know, Jeremy Pena has been good. I, I think he's the one that I'm curious to see if he continues to perform to main, to maintain, you know, the, where he, where he's been, which has been in that, you know, the, the top four. Uh, so that's the, the one I'm kind of like, huh, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure yet. Sam Dykstra is big on Jeremy Pena. He is, uh, he had him at number one. The only, uh, the only voter to have him at number one. This is not a secret ballot revealing everyone's votes here. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you could make that case. I mean, he's got a higher ops than the other two guys. I think he, you know, with Witt playing, you know, third base, Pena provides more defensive value as an everyday shortstop. So you could, you could make that argument. How about Michael Harris? That, that one's interesting to me. Um, not, the elite level prospect that uh, most of these other guys that we're talking about, but really has come on strong. Do you think it's, uh, you think it's kind of a matter of time before he gets figured out a little bit once the the book is out on him? And he, I mean, I, I don't think you can, let's see. I, I think he can really hit, but the, Jason, the thing that concerns me is he's got 27 strikeouts and three walks in 28 games. And, and I just don't think you can continue to, to hit 330 if you're not controlling the strike zone really at all. Um, so I actually think he's a legit talent and a legit performer, but he's going to have to tighten up the strike zone. You know. Yeah. And I think he will. I mean, he, he, he has done that. This is not a guy who had crazy strikeout or terrible strikeout to walk ratios in the minors, but he's also, you know, only played what he played 43 games above a ball before getting called up. So uh, I think maybe, you know, the league catches up and then he's going to make, then I think he's going to make some, some adjustments and you're going to start seeing him, you know, draw a few more walks and and cut down the strikeout rate. Uh, You know, this is not, (laughs) they've had outfield prospects like this, you know, Christian Pache who's gone and hasn't really hit. And Drew Waters has also struggled with, with that. And I think what kind of helped Michael Harris, uh, catch up to them and then you know catapult past uh, you know waters in this case since Pache was traded uh, is the fact that I think there was a better feel for the strike zone and a better feel to hit. The National League race seems to be kind of wide open at this point. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, and I, I, I mean, I, didn't we think before the season we, we we noted how it seemed like the American League rookie race was crowded with contenders, and the National League? I mean, Mackenzie Gore hadn't made his comeback um, that he did. You know, Michael Harris, we weren't necessarily projecting was going to be playing for the defending World Series champions. Brendan Donovan, you know, I don't think any of us were projecting him to get you know the playing time and perform as well as he has. I mean, the the guy who I thought was like a really strong favorite just because he's an atypical rookie with, with Suzuki with the Cubs, but he's gotten hurt and, and other guys have stepped it up. Yeah, our uh, our preseason National League rankings were Suzuki, Bryson Stott, uh, O'Neill Cruz, who is now up and uh, been pretty scintillating early on, Hunter Green and Joey Bart. So obviously uh, several of those guys have had struggles opening the door for some others. Uh, Mackenzie Gore, 
Harris, Donovan, uh, Spencer Strider has been exceptional, not the type of player who typically gets a lot of rookie of the year votes pitching out of the bullpen, but his his numbers are about as impressive as as any rookie pitcher. Yeah, right. He just misses bats. I mean, Jonathan, he's your guy, but I mean, you know, fourth round pick during the pandemic year, he was coming back. I, I, what was it? I think from Tommy John surgery, right? Mm-hmm. And so he hadn't pitched a whole lot. And I mean, nobody did that spring and it's just, he's got like a unique combination attributes with his fat, like nobody hits his fastball. Yeah. He's, I mean, I think it was a question of, it's funny after I, I voted on this, I'm like, Oh, I should have, should have had him on there a little higher, but uh, you know, if he were just relieving, even though he was extremely valuable, that's kind of a multi-inning reliever. Like I don't know that he's going to be rookie of the year, but now he's starting. The stuff is still really good um, as he gets more and more stretched out. And it's been one of these things. He came back from Tommy John, and the stuff was better. And they took him, and it kept climbing during that. You know. Uh, instructs and like, well, you don't know. And then he went out last year and kept dominating across every level. Uh, so it's like suddenly like, whoa, this guy is legit. Uh, and he's showing now that it wasn't just, a, oh, airing it out in shorter stints. Like his stuff is pretty electric and, and very hard to, to barrel up. All right. Let's look ahead to this week's MILB on MLB.tv schedule. Full slate of games. Uh, we have a repeat uh, rehab, repeat rehab offering. Max Scherzer making a second start for the Binghamton Rumble Ponies, uh, which even without Mad Max is a uh, tasty matchup with uh, the Mets' big three prospects. Francisco Alvarez, number seven overall. Brett Beatty, number 22 overall. Ronnie Mauricio, number 65 and facing Ezekiel Tovar and the Hartford Yard Goats. Rumble ponies and yard goats. Can't go wrong there. That's Tuesday's game. Wednesday, Montgomery at Pensacola is a Yuri Perez start. He is one of the most electric pitchers in the minor leagues. Don't want to miss that one. Just missed out on a Yuri Perez versus Taj Bradley matchup, which would have been nice, but they're uh, off schedule by a day there. On Thursday, it's Dayton at Great Lakes. Ellie De La Cruz and Diego Cartaya, the two top 100 prospects featured in that one. On Saturday, Wichita and Springfield, uh, three top 100 prospects, Austin Martin, uh, Twins prospect, Jordan Walker and Mason Wynn on the Cardinals side. And then wrapping up the slate on Sunday, Arkansas at Tulsa and hoping to have a Bobby Miller start there. Um, Guys, one game to watch. What are you going to take? I'm going to go with that Scherzer kid. I think he's a potential Hall of Famer. So I, I feel like <laughs> you're good. Yeah. Wow. Maybe. Bold call. Yes, that is a bold call. I, I think I'm going to take the Dayton at Great Lakes, um, mostly because I think it's rare that I can say I've been to both of those ballparks. Um, great Lakes is a great ballpark, but I also. It's not just the, lakes. Right. It's the loons. It's great, great lakes. It's great lakes. Um, but I, I, it's mostly because I want to see Ellie de la Cruz. And, you know, I do the Reds list and he fascinates me, kind of jumped on the, on the map last year, a little bit out of nowhere and has been really, really good of late. He's got a big up arrow next to his name. So I, I, I'd like to see what he's all about, you know, on, on a video screen. 
on a more serious note, you know, you know I can't quit Yuri Perez. I, I, I would take Montgomery <laughs> and Pensacola. All right. Uh, that is the slate of games on MLB.tv this week. You can see those on MLB.tv. You can also catch them on MLB.com slash pipeline. All right. Got a question from our old friend, Stevie D. Stephen D'Alessio sends in this question. How does this year's draft compare in terms of talent and depth compared to the drafts of the past decade? All right, guys, quickly recall each of the past 10 drafts and synthesize your thoughts and compare this year's class to those. Well, I was thinking the best way to do it, I mean, we can do this quickly. We just go short numerical answers is break it up into the four demographics, college, high school, bats, arms, use a 20 to 80 scale, how it compares to a typical draft. And then at the end, we can give our overall grade for the draft. How's that sound, Jonathan? All right, that's fine. So, but are we, are we, are those grades in comparison to the other years? In comparison to a typical year. Okay. So, so, so I'm going to start us off college bats. I'm going to say 55, Jonathan. I, I think it's a deeper crop of college bats than usual. I, if you wanted to go 60, I wouldn't fight you for it, but I will say 55 for college bats. How about oh. you? Well, maybe I'm being, uh, this is rare that I'm being the, the ornery one, uh, but I'm going to go 50. I, th- I do think there's, there's some depth and there's some good players, uh, but it's more solid than, than above average to me. I do think it's fair that I was going to say we don't have that that Rutschman, Torkelson, head and shoulders guy out there. So, fifty two and a half average there. <laughs> let's uh, let's go to college pitchers. I'm I'm curious just how low you'll go here. Here you go, Jonathan. Be ornery. I'm going to go forty. Um, now again, I think there's a second tier of college arms that are pretty good, but I think all the the injuries to all the sort of most of the first round candidates uh, just, it's such a huge question mark that I can't, I can't go higher than a 40. Uh, now you know, we may look back 10 years from now and all those hurt guys going to pro ball and a bunch of them end up being Walker Bueller. Uh, you know, that's what everyone's hoping when you take the college guy who needs or had Tommy John surgery, but uh, I don't, I, I'd, I'd be nervous to go much higher than that. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I, I think you could go 40. If, if you went 45, I think what you'd be you'd be banking on is that a lot of those guys will come back from the Tommy John surgery, but I will, I will, I will second your 40, Jonathan. Interesting. I, I thought you would, I thought you might go lower. Um, no, I, 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 I think you feel pretty good about guys coming back from Tommy John surgery. So yeah, now we'll, we'll go, we'll go 40. Okay, without a without a single college pitcher in the top twenty. That's right. I think you know if if we were answering this question, you know, before all the injuries, like it was it was a oh pretty decent crop of college arms, and so that's I think that's why we're sort of hedged the bet a little bit. Okay, uh, let's save high school bats for last. High school pitchers. I'm gonna go. I'm going to go 50 because Dylan Lesko and, and Chase Phillips got hurt. I, I think if they'd stayed healthy, I, I could have maybe gone 55. I, I think there's some depth to it. I think Brock Porter's really good. But I also think injuries have struck the high school pitchers. Andrew Dukanich has, has pulled himself out of the draft after tailing off kind of late. I'm going to go 50. 
I'm going to say 52. I think what saves 52? Well, you're getting really 50, precise. 50, comma <laughs> as well. <laughs> I, I thought you were new precision levels, but I, I knew what you meant. I just couldn't resist. Sorry. Um, well, it, it's uh, it's funny because I'm using so much voice to text these days that half the time I say something like that and it comes out as you know the number and not 50 also. Anyway, I think what saves the, the group, not that it needs saving, there's still some talent, are, are the lefties. Uh, you know, Robbie Snelling came on very strong uh, and he was considered maybe middle of the first round on down. Uh, you know, uh, Brandon Barrera is interesting, even though he shut himself down in April, but, you know, he's a first round talent. Jackson Ferris hasn't been getting as much buzz, but he's a projectable high school left hander. So I think that trio of, of prep lefties, I think, makes me feel pretty comfortable with hanging a 50 on that group. All right, and this one I'm looking forward to. Uh, top four prospects in this year's draft class, all high school bats. They've gotten a ton of buzz. Where does this class grade? You know what? I, because I'm, the, I'm being the sort of, I'm not going to go too, too nuts, but I'm going to put a 60 on, on this group. I, you could, I think you could easily go higher. Um, you know, you mentioned those top guys, and there's even Justin Crawford. And I feel bad because Cam Collier is really – a high school bat, but he's a college guy. So if you want to sort of add him in age-wise, it's an easy plus just because of the talent and the depth. There are some good high school bats that are in, you know, in play in that second half of the first round as well. Uh, so I'll, I'll, but I'll, I'll stick there with the, with the, with the six. I, I'm going to continue the, the surprising amount of consensus between us here, Jonathan. I, I would go six also. The reason I would not go 65 is I don't think it's as deep after you get past those top four guys. But I think those top four guys are exceptional, you know. And, and then you have guys like Cole Young and, and Jet Williams and, and Justin Crawford. But I, but I think it, it, you know, I like Tucker Toman, but it, it starts mm-hmm. to fall off. So I, I would, I would go 60 there. So we've, we've basically gone 50 or 55 on the college bats, 40 on the college arms. We agree. 50 on the high school pitchers, 60 on the high school bats. I, I feel like overall, uh, I, 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 don't, I, I feel like this is an average draft. I, I would go 50 compared to, to typical drafts the last decade. I mean, every draft has strengths and weaknesses. I do think there's talent in this draft. That you, you have the exceptional high school guys up top. You have depth of college hitters that you don't usually have. And I do think, like you alluded to, there's potential for tremendous value with teams second or third pick if they have multiple picks to grab – a pitcher who would have gone in the first round had he not gotten hurt. And if they bounce back, then you're getting like really good value. So I, I, I think even though it's kind of a weird year with the college pitchers, I, I think it's an, an average draft. You know, it, it's a pretty fair draft. I think that's fair. I'm with you on that. 50 sounds about right. Steven, thanks as often for your question. And thanks to everybody for listening. That's going to wrap this week's episode of the MLB Pipeline podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.